let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who are right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. wonder what your kind of gut reaction is when you see one of these. Or maybe uh, you're a little bit more clued into things and uh, you kind of know where to look for one of these. Next one. Yeah, I always... I, I never see them, actually. I never see them. Um, or maybe, uh, maybe for you, what's your kind of gut reaction when you get one of these in the mail? What's the next one? A rates notice. Ah, oh, is that just the kind of, you know, a bit of the pits? What's the and the next one along? You can, you know, it might be or even worse, the parking fine. Ah, oh. uh, there's a couple more. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of lo- local ones. But maybe for you, uh, what's your reaction when you when you kind of see this? Australian Taxation Office. Well, if that gets you going, uh, what about this then? Perhaps this gets you going even more. The Australian Parliament <laughs> and the people who sit in it around that horseshoe inside the Parliament. What, what, Australians always, have always had a bit of a kind of tortured relationship with authorities, right? Uh, having a go at our leaders is a little bit of a national pastime for us, right? We, we kind of have a bit of a dig at those who are over us in government and that we kind of consider it to be just normal. It's our right as Aussies. Um, I, when, when I just moved to South Australia a few years back, uh, when I just moved, I was all unfamiliar with the roads, and I didn't realise in South Australia that there's all those hidden speed cameras everywhere. They're just not... A, you, they, we just don't get them in New South Wales, where I came from. Uh, so within a couple of months of moving here, I'd racked up three speeding fines, lost most of my points, uh, and was significantly poorer. And I tell you, I was... I mean, I, just, I could justify it, right? I didn't know where, where I was... Um, I didn't realise the changes from 60, 80 to 60 to 50 in a very short space, you know, and all of that, and they put the camera right in the 50 zone, and all, you know, I didn't realise all of that, and I could justify myself, and I tell you, I was pretty happy to complain to anyone who'd listened to me. Well, maybe you've had similar kind of experiences. Just hold that thought, though, keep that in mind. Uh, we, we've been reading Romans as a church over the last year, really. Most of this year we've been reading through this incredible part of the Bible, the book of Romans. Uh, we've re- been reading how becoming a Christian or being a Christian 
changes everything. It transforms everything. The the book of Romans speaks of this most incredible transformation in your life, like from being dead to being brought alive again. Um, Dead because of our sin, because of our turning our backs to God, because of our rejection of him, a transformation of that to being made alive to him through Jesus, through his death in our place. You might remember this diagram as... um, uh, we looked at this a, a fair while ago, but this kind of tries to capture, encapsulate this big picture of this transformation that Romans talks about. Uh, there's this life in Adam. If you remember right back in Romans 5, if you're with us, if not, just go with it. Uh, life in Adam, this, the, the kind of a way that Paul talks about life on this world. Uh, he talks, says the, the realm of the flesh, and he talks about that in, in kind of in bondage to decay. But then something remarkable has happened. In, into this, uh, into this, Jesus has come and opened up a new way of life, a, a whole new way of life. Uh, life in the realm of the spirit, what Paul calls this life, not in Adam, but in Christ, connected to Jesus. It's Christmas time, right? Uh, so this, is, this, this kind of transformation that Paul talks about, it's kind of like a Christmas tree. Well, uh, life in Adam is kind of like a Christmas tree. We dress them up, we make them... Uh, we, 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 they look alive, right? You've got the Christmas tree in your, in your corner. They look really amazing and beautiful. We, we, they look alive, but they're cut off from their life source, right? The Christmas tree, it's cut off from its life source. And that's the kind of idea that you get in Romans about life in Adam. Uh, still kind of living in a sense, but cut off from our life source. And the incredible thing that Jesus does is graft us back in <laughs> Graft us back into our life source, graft us back into a living tree, this great new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Um, Over the the last few weeks, we've been reading through chapter 12 of Romans, the last chapter, uh, and we've seen there how all of this, all of this is a huge change in our relationship to God. Uh, It doesn't just change sort of one part of us and leave the rest of us alone, it's not like we just get some kind of new name and then just go on living exactly as we were before. This huge change uh, it gives us a full new identity, the, the, the chorus thing about us, a complete transformation that, leaves, that le- needs to change everything about us. We read it in, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flick your eye back to chapter 12, verse 1. It talks about in view of God's mercy. If you are here a few weeks ago, you'll remember that. We looked at that. In view of God's mercy, in view of that diagram of what God has done for his world in Jesus, offer every part of yourself as a, as a sacrifice to God, being transformed by the renewing of your minds. There's this huge life change, this complete transformation. Last few weeks in chapter 12, we've seen how that changes our relationships with each other in within God's family, within the church. It gives us lives of humble sacrifice and self, uh, self-sacrifice and service. Uh, it leads us to that. Uh, it, it, makes us, it gives us this kind of sincere love that hates what is evil and clings to what is good. We heard that last week. But there's another issue about the way that this new identity changes us that Paul goes on to in this, these verses we're looking at today. In Romans 13, not just how this all changes how we relate to each other within the church. Um, the, the The picture you get here is that we are part of a new a new kingdom through Jesus, the realm of the Spirit, the kingdom of God. 
We're part of a new kingdom. But we're also part of this kingdom on earth. We still have these bodies of flesh. We still live in in this world under this kingdom. And the question for Paul remains, how, how do those two kind of fit together? How do they fit together? If you're part of God's kingdom, if that's the core of who you are now, your new identity, how, what does that mean for the way you relate to the kingdom of this world, <laughs> the, the, the rulers and authorities and governments of this world? It's an issue that crops up all through the Bible. Um, often you see a clash between these two kingdoms. There's a, a few um, pictures coming up as we, as we go through these few examples. Uh, often you, you get these kingdoms in conflict with each other, like this kingdom of God, people belonging to it, and the kingdom of the world. Uh, back in Exodus, you, you might, you might, if you're familiar with the Exodus story, you might be familiar with the story of the, uh, the Hebrew midwives, right? Basically the people of God, in, the Israelites, are enslaved. They're kind of... Uh, under terrible oppression, uh, and the pharaoh, the, the ruler, the, the authority in that place, orders all the male babies to be killed uh, as soon as they're born, and the midwives are supposed to do that. Uh, the, the pharaoh orders the midwives to do that. Uh, but they engage in a really courageous act of civil disobedience. If you go on to the... There should be a, 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 the next couple of slides there. Yeah, they, there's pharaoh and the midwives kneeling before him. These midwives engage in a really courageous act of... They disobey uh, Pharaoh. We're told in, in uh, Exodus that the midwives feared God and they did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. And they told a lie to cover it up. The, uh, the, remember the lie they, they told Pharaoh? These Hebrew women, they're just so fertile that the babies kind of pop out before we can get there and we can't kill them, Pharaoh. Sorry, we, you know, we, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, well, there are other examples in the Bible of this conflict between kingdoms. Uh, the next one, next year, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, and that's a big theme here as well in, in the book of Daniel. God's people again in slavery. Three of them stand up to the king who, who orders them to bow down to this huge statue, uh, and they, they refuse to do it. And if you remember, they get chucked into a big fiery furnace. But God saves them from it. You get it in the New Testament as well. It's not just the, the stories of the Old Testament. Uh, one of the first followers of Jesus, Peter, uh, he's arrested for speaking about Jesus, about this other kingdom of God that Jesus has set up. And uh, you might remember what Peter says if you've read the story. He says, we must obey God and not hu- rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. So, you get these times in the Bible where these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God that God's people belong to and the kingdoms of this world, they kind of rub up against each other, they clash, so much so that the right thing to do for God's people is to defy the earthly kingdom, to not obey the authorities who are commanding them to do something that God forbids, to take the life of an innocent child, uh, like the midwives, or or to not obey them when they forbid you to do what God tells you to do, like Peter. He knew that God had told him to tell the world about Jesus and he wasn't going to obey the authorities when they told him to stop. There are times in the Bible when that's, that's true. But friends, all of that by way of introducing a kind of different perspective that you also get in the Bible about this relationship between these two kingdoms. Uh, there's another really important perspective you get. 
Uh, you see, if we just hear these stories about people kind of rubbing up against the kingdom that they're in, if we just hear them, we can start to think that they're kind of normal. They're the kind of the normal way for Christians to relate to the society around us. Uh, but this other perspective you get in the Bible and what you see here in Romans 13 shows that those acts are always done reluctantly, they're even done respectfully, and always as a last resort. They're done as a last resort. You see, the Bible's basic view of governments, of rulers and authorities, the Bible's basic view is that they are, they're good gifts from God. And the normal pattern is that members of God's kingdom should be the best citizens in these earthly kingdoms. It's part of the way that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, you get that in... We'll, we'll move on. If you have your Bibles there, you'll see we'll kind of move through this short passage before we draw some things together towards the end. Yeah, that's exactly what you see at the start of chapter 13. This call that Paul gives, uh, 13 verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It's pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward sort of call. It's not that hard to understand. It can be a little bit harder to accept at times. Uh, but Paul's pretty clear. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Respect them as far as possible unless they're asking you to do something against God's will, uh, unless they're forbidding you to do something that God, you know God is, is clearly revealed to you in Scripture then submit to them. Uh, accept that you order your life under these governing authorities around you. Uh, and if there's anything that's going to get, um, you know, Aussies who love cutting down tall poppies, if there's anything that's going to get us going, it's this, right? But let's read on, because Paul fills out what he, what he means by this. Be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, he gives a reason why we ought to be subject to them. Verse, we'll read from the start again. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, you get this idea through the Bible, right, and what we talked about before, human governments are basically a, a good gift from God to stop us, to stop humanity falling into chaos, actually, and uh, into the consequence of our sin. Um, our sin in the Bible is our, 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 we reject the rule of God over us. We reject his good rule over our lives. We set up ourselves as our kind of little gods, who have authority, uh, our little own kingdom of one. And it means that, with, uh, because, well, that's, that's, uh, that because we do that, because of our sin, it means that without human governments, uh, our societies would just be marked by selfishness and greed and it, we'd end up being kind of hell on earth. Uh, but God in his grace, in the way he set up his world, he kind of loans his authority to human governments to stop that from happening, to stop that from happening. And when you see that here, I, I think you can kind of get a grip on what Paul's trying to say here, his logic. Uh, to have a basic attitude of rebellion against the government is to, in effect, 
have a basic attitude of rebellion against God. It's an outworking of our sin and pride, and it's pretty stark here, isn't it? Those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. A sobering thought for rebellious Aussies, right? It would have been, but let's not forget though, friends, it would have been sobering for the first readers of this letter as well. It would have been just as sobering for them. Uh, It's not as if the Roman government was any better than ours, far from it. (laughs) Uh, But by God's grace, an imperfect government is, you you know this, right, is infinitely better than no government at all. (laughs) And you see that whenever governments fail in countries an imperfect government is infinitely better than no government. And until God's kingdom becomes all in all, until Jesus returns and all people bow to his rule, human governments are not just something to grumble about, they're an expression of God's kindness to us. But they do have a limited purpose. They do have a limited purpose. We're not talking about a kind of totalitarian kind of government here, right, that just grabs everything, controls citizens right down to what they think. If you read on in verse 3 and 4, you see this limited purpose for which God gives governments. Verse 3, for rulers rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from uh, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. God gives us governments, ruling authorities, and I take it that includes sort of governmental agencies like uh, the police, emergency services. God gives them to us for our good. But their, but their purpose is kind of essentially a, a negative one. You see that there where Paul talks about, he sums up using this phrase, the sword. They don't bear the sword for no reason. It's kind of a symbol of their power, the power of governments to, to uh, punish wrongdoing, to punish wrong, evil, thoughtless, selfish behaviour that's going to be wrong for other people. Basically, they're to stop us descending into the chaos that we would naturally head towards if we all followed our own inclinations. Well, so Paul says, look, and as he goes on in in verse 5, he says, look, it's not not just wise. You can see that, right? If the governments bear the sword, it's pretty wise to just uh, be subject to them. But Paul says it's not just wise. They do bear the sword for a good reason. And if you speed, you're going to get a fine, Right? Um, you'll feel the sword. But there's another reason why you shouldn't speed, actually. Not just because you'll get in trouble if you, don't, if you are. And this is, this is where this, this whole passage, it's not just a bit of practical advice for Paul to the Christians, like keep your head down and don't get in trouble. That's not what's going on here for Paul. This isn't a nice bit of moral encouragement on a Sunday morning. You thought you were coming to church to get told not, not to speed. Well, uh, no, it taps into something actually much bigger. And you see that in verse 5. Verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. In the normal course of things, unless you have a government that's telling you to to do something that's clearly against God, 
in the normal course of things, it is just common sense to submit yourself to the authorities and you, because you'll get punished. But if you're not just part of this earthly kingdom, if you've been given new life through Jesus, if you're part of God's eternal kingdom, this isn't just about self-interest for you. It's not just about self-interest, not about, getting, about kind of avoiding getting slapped with a fine. You will see those governing authorities in a totally different way. You'll submit to them not just because you'll get punished if you don't, but because of conscience, because you know that they derive their authority from God himself and that in this age, human governments are basically a good gift from God to keep us from feeling the full effects of our sin. We live in these earthly kingdoms, not primarily seeking to please them, but seeking to please our eternal King, our Heavenly Father. That's why we can submit to governments, and that's why we can submit even to governments that we don't like, even to governments that are on the other side to us, because we're not primarily actually submitting to them. In submitting to them, we're submitting to God who has given them to us. So Paul goes on in verse 6. That's what this kind of looks like. He starts to get practical. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Friends, what do we make of all this? Um, if you're... If you've been with us as we read through Romans, if you're a Christian person, if you recognise yourself as being kind of having that in Christ identity, belonging to the kingdom of God, as well as existing in this kingdom on earth, what, what do you make of all this? Um, for you are in Christ. You are, you are under his rule. But you're also in Australia. You're also under the rule of this government. And look, I mean, it's, there's some fairly straightforward kind of applications from this passage that we had, right? There's some fairly clear ones. You're free in Christ, in his kingdom, so that means you can cheerfully pay your taxes. Uh, if you're an employer, you know that your identity is secure in Christ, so you can pay your wages properly without trying to find loopholes. For all of us, there's a kind of right respect and honour that we owe to those who govern our society I'm pretty convicted about this, kind of sitting in this text this week. It's so easy, isn't it, just to take our civil leaders down, have that as the baseline kind of attitude that we have towards them. Very Australian kind of thing to do in our words, in our attitude. But even if the character of kind of individual authorities we might not kind of agree with or we might think they're dodgy, the office they bear, the office they bear is actually from God. It's a gift from God, and we should thank, thank God for it. So next time you get a speeding fine, thank God, actually. Thank God that you, didn't, that you didn't seriously injure someone or kill them. Thank God, because that's what the fines are there to stop you doing, really. Uh, next time it's tax time, thank God for stable government that on the whole enables us to live in peace. It doesn't mean don't engage in politics, in letter writing, in trying to see unjust laws overturned and just laws in place. 
We live in a democracy, right? And that's part of living in a democracy. It means the freedom to do that, to respectfully, not, not kind of engaging in mudslinging, in character smearing like the way the world does, to respectfully engage in politics, in political process. That's kind of entirely appropriate and good and necessary. But there may be a time, friends, might there? There may be a time when, like Daniel's friends, we'll have to say, we're not going to bow down to the idols that you command us to. Uh, I suspect it'll probably be around issues of sexuality and gender, uh, the same-sex marriage kind of issues, uh, that even to hold a historic Christian position may well become legal, uh, illegal. Uh, it may be around other things, maybe around uh, Christian concern for the poor and the stranger and the foreigner. I'm not sure. It seems a little bit unclear to me, but it may be. But even then, friends... Uh, uh, you see this in the Apostles, the Apostles' own example in the book of Acts, the story of Acts, the early church. The Apostles keep humbly and fearlessly preaching Christ, calling for repentance, and it gets them in hot water, actually. It, they get chucked in prison. Uh, even when they are killed for it, they, they don't actually call for a political uprising. The apostles don't do that. It's quite remarkable. What do they do when they get chucked in prison? They don't stop. Uh, they sing, actually. They sing and they pray. God delivers them sometimes. He doesn't other times. They take every opportunity to keep sharing the news of Jesus, uh, even with their captors, even sharing Jesus with the, the people who are imprisoning them. They know that they are citizens of heaven and that God's love can never be taken from them and that gives them a radical freedom, a radical freedom. But perhaps, friends, just just, just kind of draw things together. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're, you're not actually a Christian person. What a bizarre week to come to church, seriously. Romans 13, a bit of a strange passage to come and listen to. Uh, this passage, is, it's, it is basically talking... Um, to Christian people, to Christian people who have entered God's eternal kingdom and are trying to figure out how to live on this earthly kingdom. Sorting out where you stand, if you're not a Christian person, sorting out where you stand in relation to that heavenly, eternal kingdom, that's your top priority. Uh, it, it, but perhaps when you can, uh, that's your top priority and it will kind of filter down in the way you relate to this earthly kingdom. But that's where you should start. Perhaps when you consider honestly your relationship to this earthly kingdom, to the authorities and rules over you, perhaps when you think about that, maybe if you're honest, you recognise a problem within your own heart, a kind of self-centredness and rebelliousness that bucks up against authority. Maybe you've even felt the sting of the sword of the governing authorities. Friends, if that's you and if you know you're not a Christian, the Bible's message here is that that sword is actually pointing you, it's pointing you towards a greater judgment, actually. It points towards our deeper problem, our more serious rebellion, not against whatever government we have to be, happen to be living under, our more serious rebellion against God himself. That's a sobering thought, and it's made worse, actually, by the fact that the penalty for this rebe rebellion... You know, you can pay your speeding fine, but the penalty for this rebellion can never be paid off by you. 
You can't cover up for it. You can't do the jail time for it. No amount of jail time will cover up for it. The fine is too big for us to pay. But the wonderful and great, liberating, joyful news of the gospel of of Jesus, why Christians can sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, is that Jesus does the time for us. (laughs) He pays the penalty, the fine for us. He steps in our pace. He pays the fine we could never pay at the cost of his own life. And he offers you complete forgiveness, a clean slate today and every day if you hold your hands out to receive it. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Our great God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful and glorious gospel of Jesus, this great news that has, for many of us, captured our hearts. Thank you for, Father, your word that says life in Adam, life under these kingdoms is like a a Christmas tree that's been cut off from its life source, but that you freely offer to graft us back in through Jesus. Father, for those who are part of your kingdom, help us to think wisely, carefully, humbly um, about the way in which we relate to the authorities around us. Uh, Give us your heart, we pray. We do pray that we will make the best citizens of this country. And we pray that not only uh, to avoid punishment, but for the sake of conscience, because we know that they are there instituted by you uh, for our good. Uh, And we pray that as we do that, that will be a wonderful and great witness to this other kingdom that we belong to, this other eternal kingdom that frees us to live well in this world. Uh, Please reveal yourself to us. Please humble us and lift us up through the wonderful mercy of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.